And today we're going to elaborate strictly on the victory over sin. There's only one victory over sin that's already been accomplished. There's nothing we can do as individuals to assist or affect the victory over this sin. Jesus Christ, the only Son of the living God, has already defeated Satan, death, and hell. He is the victor. As we believe in Jesus, we will stand we stand in his victory. We stand in his victory, and we find in Ephesians chapter six the armor of God that we defeat and battle with uh, the principalities of the dark forces of this earth, which is Satan and his uh, demons. So without further delay, let's have our opening prayer, and then we'll continue with our study, Victory Over Sin. Lord, we thank you today for all the ones that are listening, wherever they may be, whatever part of the world they're in. Father, I know that you love each and every one of them, and you care about them personally. You care about all the things in their life, everything they do, every person they talk to, every breath they take, every beat of their heart, you know and you care. You love them, Lord. You told us that you loved us more than we will probably ever know until we come into your presence. Father, I want people to realize today that Jesus Christ has already bought and paid our sin debt and this simple thing of uh, coming to you and believing in Jesus and asking and repenting of our sins and asking for your forgiveness is the ticket, if you will, to come into your kingdom. And Father, I want people to realize that it's that simple, that we're saved by your grace, not by anything that we do. There's no one, no place, or nothing on this earth that can get us into your presence, into heaven, other than Jesus Christ. I want people to realize that, Lord God, and that you would help in your spirit by convicting people to come believe in Jesus Christ and be saved today. Father, I pray that you would be with everyone that's listening to me today in this message. Father, that you would bless them with a double blessing. Father, for those that are sick or not feeling well, I pray that your healing hand would be upon them, that you would uh, lift them up, lift their spirits. Show them, Lord, that there is hope in all things. There's hope in all things through Jesus Christ, that we can do all things in Jesus Christ who strengthens us. Father, that we realize that the onlyest way to come into your presence is through death. That we have to leave this physical body, this sinful body, has to be left here on this earth to return to the dust from which it came. And then our souls and spirits, if we know Jesus, can go to be with you because we are saved by Jesus Christ through your grace. Now, Father, be with this message. Open our hearts and minds to discern and understand a deeper understanding of your word and what it means to have victory over sin. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. My friends, I have laid out for you the sin that so easily besets us. In the past 13 chapters, we have looked at sin in all different angles. And I want to assure you, all of you, every one of you, that God is as real as anything or anybody you know. He is the most gracious, loving, gentle, and caring person you or I will ever know. 
God's love for us can be matched by nothing that man can ever imagine. I know that reading the above chapters or, or listening to these chapters gives a vision of man that is absolutely vile in all ways. But may I reassure you today that God has corrected with 100% accuracy the sin problem in mankind. Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifice for the sin debt that mankind owed through Adam and Eve and through the inherited and imputed sin. And the debt that we owe for the sin in our lives has been paid in full by Jesus. Not partially, but completely. With no monthly payment due, and there's no accumulating interest, it has been paid in full. God has seen that we have a way to be free from condemnation and the second death, which is the lake of fire created for the devil and his angels. God has seen that he uh, provided for us this free way through Jesus Christ and, and to be saved through his grace to give us something that we don't even deserve, that God saved us and we don't even deserve to be saved. Yet he decided to do this because he's sovereign and he does things that pleasures him and it pleased God to save us through his grace because he loves us that much. Now the cross of Calvary that Jesus died on is that work that was God's will and desire to accomplish, not only through the man Jesus Christ, but also through himself as a heavenly father. God gave his only son as a perfect sacrifice and the shedding of his precious blood paid the sin debt of mankind that originated with Adam and Eve. I will assure you that through the anguish of watching his son die on that cross and the agony, the deepest agony that Jesus suffered as he willingly gave himself for us that day, there is no other way to have favor with God except through the work that Jesus accomplished on the cross. God views forgiveness of our sins no other way. There's no other way, folks. It does not matter what everybody says about the different ways to get to heaven, there is only one way to get to heaven, and it's through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. There is no other way. God will not allow it ever, ever, ever. Now, all through the reading of this study, we have been uh, seen over and over the verse from the Bible that says the wages of sin is death. Now, I know that there are hundreds, thousands, maybe even millions of people that will not believe this. As I said earlier, some people just believe the way we are in this world is just the way we are. That that's the, the, we call it sin. They say that's just the way we are. They don't realize that sin is running rampant all over around them, and we have a way to protect ourselves through and with the armor of God. Now, I want you to understand that we back up here just a, a few sentences, and I want to say that when Jesus Christ was on the cross, there came a point, I believe, that Jesus could have, he, he could have come off the cross. You know, if we realize and really think Jesus Christ was God in the flesh, he could have removed himself from the cross and went back into glory and we would have been condemned. But Jesus loved us so much that he stayed on that cross 
He stayed the distance and went the, the, ran the race that was set before him, as, as Paul says. And he and he was uh, superiorly conquered death and hell and Satan. Satan knows without a shadow of a doubt that Jesus has beat him and that his time is limited and that he's going to suffer eternal damnation. There's no, there's no repentance, there's no forgiveness for Satan. He is doomed. Okay, Ephesians 6, 14 through 18 explains this. Stand before, <clears throat> stand therefore, having girded your waist with truth, which is a Bible, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, which is through Jesus Christ, and having sh uh, shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, of what we're doing right now, and above all, taking the shield of faith, of what we believe, which... Uh, you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, which is Satan, and take the helmet of salvation, okay, that God gave us, that God gave us salvation through his grace and with the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying always with prayer and supplications in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Folks, we have the power to defeat Satan. The problem is, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. We don't have the willpower to stand. And I thank God that Jesus had the willpower and the determination to stay on that cross, that he saved me, and I appreciate every moment of my salvation, every second that Jesus died for me and that God saved me. Now, during this chapter, we want to see in detail that God has given us victory over sin through the Lord Jesus Christ and his work on the cross. There are so many religions in the world today that are work-based. Now, what I mean by that is they think that you have to, uh, you can believe in Jesus Christ, and that's, that's good, but you have to do a certain amount of work uh, through your faith to accomplish go, getting to heaven. And they want you to think that you as mere man can do enough work or give enough offerings, okay, that you can get into heaven and this is so untrue. You cannot fall for this lie. You cannot fall for this lie and believe that any of us will ever be good enough to enter God's presence in peace. We cannot. God sees us through the righteousness of the Lord Jesus Christ. He does not see us in our human form or in the sinful state that we're in. He sees us through the righteousness of Jesus. Now, the Bible does not teach this in any form or fashion that we can buy or work our way into heaven. This is a deception and a lie straight from hell from Satan himself. People fall for this because they do not know the word of God. That's the reason I said that if you have to look at, remember I said that if I wanted to learn math, I could open the book and look at math and say, I don't believe that and close the book. And, and I could say two plus two is not four, it's six. And close the book and go on about my life, thinking that two and two is six. Okay? The Bible's the same way. I can open up and it'd say, for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son. And I can say, I can believe that or not believe it. But if I want to believe it, if I want to believe the math, then I have to look at it intensely 
figuring out, counting one, two, three, four. Two and two is four, not six. And I have to search that and prove it to myself that it's, that it's four. The same thing with, with the, the scriptures. If I search the scriptures, the Holy Spirit will discern it for me and tell me that God did so love the world that he gave his only begotten son and that Jesus is real and that he did die for my sins. And through believing in him, I can have salvation and be saved from the fires of hell. You have to apply yourself to the word of God. You have to ingest God's word into your heart and into your body and remember and think and imagine and, and just do all these meditations about the Bible and the Lord Jesus Christ and God and so forth. And that's what we, we do. We wake up. We go to bed. We're thinking about God and we're thinking about Jesus Christ. And we're praying little short prayers, little clips constantly in our minds. Lord, thank you for this day. Lord, thank you for this trip. Lord, thank you for this food. Lord, I've got a headache. Will you please help me uh, deal with this headache? If it's your will that you would relieve me. And so forth and so on and so on and so on. God is there. He's a personal God. He is a personal redeemer through Jesus Christ who died for us individually. Not as a group. He died for everybody in the world. But it's a personal relationship that we have with him. It's personal. Very, very personal. He cares about every second, every minute of your life. Those who try to please God and grow in faith by attempting to merely stop this or that action or habit, okay? For instance, uh, the man's corrupted soul leads to those actions that our Heavenly Father condemns, such as alcoholism, smoking dope, and, uh, or taking dope, uh, sexual sins, uh, cursing, all the different things of hatred, bigotry, uh, violations of the commandments, all these different things. Okay, we as humans do not have the power spiritually to stop these actions or habits. And some people may be able to stop drinking and uh, go to uh, Alcoholic Anonymous and they can kick the habit and they, and they can be free for a number of years. God doesn't do things that way. God delivers, and I want to say that again, God delivers you from the habit. He takes it away. It's something that you're not going to have to worry about again because God destroyed it. Okay? And we're like someone trimming the branches of a hedge when what they should be doing is attacking the root, which is the inner man. And see, that's what God does. See, we, we, we uh, quit smoking or we quit drinking, we quit doing uh, uh, recreational drugs, I think is what they call it, and we're just trimming the branches off of the hedge, and they're going to grow back. But God, through delivering us, he goes to the root in the inner man and destroys the root. So the plant can never come back. And regardless of how long one has been religious or going to church, this will not convert you to be a true Christian. The change from sinner to saint. Okay, now what that was talking about is the one that does stops the habits on their own uh, does not mean they're a true Christian. Okay, the change from sinner to saint, from death to life, is a change of the inner being, heart, soul, spirit, and mind. As said earlier, man has not the will or power within himself to repair his fault in himself. The repair work comes from God in the Holy Spirit. Luke chapter 6 verse 45 tells us that from the heart the mouth speaks. 
Okay? A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. If a man desires that he's going to be evil and do something evil, and it's in his heart and it's ingested in there and it, and it, it comes out, uh, first of all, like I said earlier, it starts as a mental thought, an idea that he has, and it ingests itself from the brain to the heart until it comes to fruition and it is born, and then the sin is full grown and then it brings death. Okay, that's what that happens there. That's how that works. The gospel of Jesus Christ, which is God's eyes and the only way to uh, receive forgiveness of sin, is a free gift to man. That's what I said earlier. By believing in the Lord Jesus Christ and his gospel, that we are saved by God's grace to receive forgiveness of sins. And it's a free gift. God gives it to us. You can't work for it. You can't buy it. It only comes as a free gift. We have to accept it. We must believe that Jesus' death on the cross was a payment for my, for my sin and for your sin. And he was buried, and on the third day he was raised from the dead and is forever living with God the Father, and that through believing this we will be saved. I invite you to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1-4, through 4, which is the gospel, and we must believe there is no other way. There is no other way, folks. It says in the Bible that Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father. Okay, he sits at the right hand. Now one day, God is going to tell Jesus to go and collect the church or go get his, his brothers and sisters, which is the church, his bride, and there's going to be what they call the rapture, and he's going to come and get, first of all, the dead in Christ will raise first, and then those of us that are alive will meet them in the air, and we'll be transformed instantly into our new bodies, and we'll forever be with the Lord. We will forever be with the Lord in his presence. Amen. Now, once we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, we receive the Holy Spirit, which is God's Holy Spirit, to help us and empower us from on high. This gives us a discerning power to, to read the Bible and understand what it says. It empowers us to uh, convicts us when we do wrong. It uh, convicts us and says, you know, you, do, you, you shouldn't have done that, and so you feel bad about it. So you confess that sin. God forgives you because it says that he is faithful to forgive us of our sins. And then that's the constant own working power of the Holy Spirit. After these actions are done and in place, the remaining action will come naturally. So that the only effort of will is to accept God's healing and his working through us. We have to accept it. We can't fight it and say, well, now I've got the Holy Spirit, so let me see what I can do with it. You can't do anything with it. God does it, uses that to work to do things with you, not you do things with him. Remember, the spirit-filled believer is not one who is merely trying to be a good Christian, but it is the work of God in us that works to do his good pleasure. It is God's good pleasure that he's... Uh, saves us and that his Holy Spirit works with us. In Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 it says for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. It pleased God to save us. It was God's pleasure to lift us up out of the pit and to save us so that we could be in his presence through Jesus Christ. Now that verse is a powerful one because it does not merely say that God will do things through us 
it says that God with both will with both will and do his good work through us. He provides not only the actions, but also the desire and the drive to accomplish them. If you're not a Christian and you do not have a desire or a need, you don't feel a desire or a drive, I'll say, to go and do something for Jesus. No, you go do things for you. You go to work, you get money, you go buy things for you. And you accomplish and you collect things and you don't think about the giving part of giving it back to God because everything that you have is borrowed from God. You're not going to be able to keep it. One day you're going to die and everything that, that's on this earth is going to stay on this earth because it belongs to God. He created it. says in the Bible that naked you come in the world and naked you'll go out. You can't take anything with you. So what is left for the Christian actually to do? Well, we are not to just sit back and pronounce that we are saved and go on doing nothing. So see, God gives us the drive and the will and the desire to want to go do things for Jesus and to praise him and to worship him and to read about his word and to study and do things searching and digging and looking for ways that we can get the gospel out to the non-believers in the world. Now, if you don't know Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit's not in you, you're not going to have that desire. Okay? You're not going to have that desire. Now, Jesus told his disciples to go out and spread the gospel around the world. Okay? We are to will ourselves to agree and accept God's will in our lives, and then we can walk together with God, accomplishing his will and allowing him to work through us because we are supposed to spread the gospel throughout the world just like the disciples did. Some of us are called to be missionaries and some of us are called to be teachers and some of us uh, are evangelists and preachers and so forth and so on. And God has a mission and a work for every individual. Some people are just prayer warriors. They pray and they pray and they pray and that's their job to pray for God's ministry throughout the world. And that's what they do. Now Amos chapter 3 verse 3. Can two walk together unless they are agreed? Now, the Father supplies both the will and the work through our acceptance of his Son. All that is left for us to do is agree with his will and to enter into a state of spiritual rest. Now, let me go back to Amos 3.3 a minute and say that can two walk together? You have to accept Jesus Christ and say that I'm saved by, through God's grace because I believe in Jesus Christ and I want to serve and worship him and you have to be in agreement and agree with God's will for your life if you don't then you can't walk together unless you agree that's what Amos is saying if I don't agree with God and what he wants me to do I won't be able to come into a spiritual rest to know that I'm doing God's will I cannot fight against God I must follow what he sets before me now Matthew chapter 11 verse 28 Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. My friends, if there's ever a time in the world, in 2015, all you who labor and are heavy laden, I'll assure you that there's millions and billions of people around this world that are over-labored and very heavy laden, and they need to come to Jesus. Jesus needs to be found in the world today so he can give them rest. 
we worry about things, the physical things in this world that are going to perish and not be there. And we're not paying enough attention to the spiritual things which God has given us through his son, Jesus Christ, for us to inherit, to have. When we accept Jesus Christ, we, be, we inherit the kingdom with him that God set for us. It is his pleasure to give us the kingdom. People don't understand that. They think serving Jesus is a job of deep responsibility, of financial burden, and of, of uh, uh, dislike, and people are going to not like me, and all these other different things, and everybody associates the money with uh, being a Christian and, and with the church. Listen, God does not need your money. God already owns everything. What does he need with your money? If God needs something, it's already been created. He'll just, he'll just get some more of it. Okay, so God has all the gold, all the diamonds. He don't have to go digging for them. He knows exactly where they are. He knows where the largest gold uh, deposits are in the earth if he wanted uh, more income. And he would just go there and, and take it out of the earth and, and take it with him or whatever. And so the money is not an issue. Money is a physical thing that's in this world. Okay, so let's go on. Now, God and Satan are two direct opposites. Satan is an agent, an agent, uh, rather, an agent of sin and chaos. Okay, while God stands for holiness and perfect order. Satan is not content in having the Christian entering into God's rest and being transformed by the renewing of his mind as spoken of by Paul. Now, yesterday when I was uh, in my lawn, I was working in my yard, and there was a little bird, a little dove, that I thought was injured, and it was uh, running around on the ground, and I was trying to see if there was something wrong with it that I might be able to help it. Well, because of sin in the world, the, the little bird was scared of me, and he would not, I couldn't get close to him because he was scared. But in God's mind, in God's world, everything is perfect. The little bird, I could have walked over and picked the bird up in God's world. I could have had all these animals would love and not want to kill and, and destroy, but they would love because God is love. God's love is spread throughout the world. That's the way it was in the beginning. That's the reason Adam had all the animals around him and it was wonderful because he probably had tigers that were like pet dogs to us and uh, he he was uh, taught you know working and pet playing with the tigers and lions and stuff like that and uh, today you can't even pick up a bird because of sin in the world it's been uh, cursed uh, through the sin of the world now if we look at Romans 12 2 and do not be conformed to this world but be transformed to the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Okay, uh, that Satan is not content in having the Christian entering to God's rest. Satan does not want you to enter God's rest. He does not want you to be transformed by renewing of your mind. He wants you to be uh, blinded and believing his lies so that he can bring you into the pits of failure like he does, like he is. So let's see, nor does Satan like the fact that uh, true believers cease to participate in self-destructive behavior, okay? That will ruin both this life and hopes of the life to come. He knows that if the believer actually abides in Christ and allows Christ to abide in his heart, 
the enemy's power will be utterly broken. Every day, every day there are people that commit suicide in the world. It's one of the biggest questions in the world. There's Christian people uh, that I that I uh, knew in my lifetime uh, that committed suicide. And is that wrong or wrong or right or whatever? I, you know, the the it's not for me to judge. It's in the hands of God. I just pray that uh, everything was right, and I don't think that uh, it's right for for you to take your own life. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying that uh, there's some, there may be other issues wrong with the individual that made them do what they do that we don't know about because we're not God. It's God's choice to judge and separate, not us. We're just to, to serve God and pray that he will have that his mercy will be uh, seen and heard and felt. He also knows that once a Christian has been converted, okay, this is Satan, and has entered into the rest of the child as a child of God, that he has lost his grip on the person and will never be able to regain control or cause this person to be enslaved to sin again. Now that's what we said in the last chapter was when I accept Jesus Christ, Christ is never going to let go of me. He says that he has us in his hand and no one can take you out of his hand. Now, if he's the son of God and we're in Jesus's hand and Jesus' hand is in God's hand, there's nothing in the universe or in the powers of darkness that can remove us from his hands. We're saved and Jesus is not going to let go of us. Okay, so Satan knows that he has lost us. He did, didn't say that he won't harass us and try to make our lives miserable if we let him, but it says that he has lost his grip on us. This is the true power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. When we are in Jesus and he uh, in us, we are in his hand. Okay, this is what I just said. And his hand's in the hand of God the Father. And no one can remove us from his hand. No one can take it. No darkness, no principalities, no domains, no nothing. The only reason Satan is able to tempt us is because we are weak in the flesh. Okay? If we could ever control our flesh and, and to go with the will of the Spirit, we would be able to defeat a lot of more things and we wouldn't be, have all the problems with sin that we do. Now, the Spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The sin issue in our lives is not completely defeated, but it no longer is a way of life for the believer. We enter a state of mind that it is in harmony with the law of God, and then it becomes true of us that in 1 John chapter 3, verse 9, Whosoever is born of God doeth not commit sin, for his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin, because he is born of God. Now look at the same verse in the Message Bible, which is a really good translation of this verse. And people conceived and brought into the life by God don't make a practice of sin. Okay, so now look back at the verse. Whoever, whosoever is born of God doeth not, doeth not commit sin. Now we know that we're flesh and we are weak and that we sin. That's what we've been talking about all the way through this uh, study, that we sin uh, unwillingly we're sinful people okay so but we once we accept Christ and we're saved and the Holy Spirit comes to to live within us we don't sin is not a practice of life it's not a way of life how could it be okay God's seed is deep within us making them or making us who who we are it's not in the nature of the God begotten to practice and parade sin it's not Jesus Christ being saved through grace is not a license 
for you to sin because God's willing to forgive you when you sin. Okay, here's how you tell the difference between God's children and the devil's children. The one who won't practice righteous ways isn't from God, nor is the one who won't love his brother or sister. That's a pretty simple test, actually. The one who won't practice righteousness, the one that won't pray, the one that won't read the Bible, the one that won't go to church, the one that won't pay and donate to the church to make sure the work of Christ and the work of God can continue throughout the world. These are examples. It's the way we live our life, okay? It's not that we don't have, oh, I'm a Christian. I'm never going to sin again. No, that's not what it says. But if you're a Christian, let Christ be seen in you that you are different, that you stand out among the world. Okay, in the very first verse it says, don't make a practice of sin. doesn't say that you don't never sin. We just talked about this. And we live in a sinful world and are sinful. But because of Jesus, we have an intercessor before God that intercedes for us on our behalf. Confess your sin and God is faithful to just forgive you through our intercessor, Jesus Christ. Now, the response from Satan in all this is to accuse because the Bible says he is the accuser of the saints. He will also tell people, you can believe that it's not really true. You can't, or excuse me, you can't believe that it's not really true. Or he may say something like, that's only an idea, not a reality. Or let's say, even if it is true, nobody can really do that. Now, these are lies that Satan tries to tell you about the power of the Holy Spirit working in you. And notice Satan, uh, is only twisting what is real. Satan loves to twist everything about God to make us think it is not what we think it is and so forth and so on. But Satan wants a believer to accept his version of what is real and not God's. Satan was a created creature just like man is created by God. Satan has no uh, creative power, no original power other than what was allotted to him by, by God in the very beginning. So Whatever Satan says, he's, he is the father of lies. Jesus said he's a murderer, and he has to be viewed as that. So God is a true living way, not Satan. You cannot put any trust in what Satan tells you because he will lie to you. Okay, listen. While it is true that we sin, we should realize we don't have to. Now, I know that's hard for people to realize that that's right. We don't have to. We are tempted by, of the sin in our personal life, but temptation is not sin. The Bible says we will be tempted, and the longer we mentally give thought to the temptation, the deeper the thought goes until finally it will come to completion. Now, after sin, there is only death, okay? There's only death, because if we don't get forgiveness for the sin, when this body perishes and goes back into the earth, the sinful spirit or the sinful soul of man that did not was not redeemed by Jesus Christ has to go into the lake of fire, which is the second death. Now let's look at the book of James in chapter 1, and we will find around verse 14 the following, but each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Where does the desires and enticement come from? They come from mental thought. And then when the desire or the thought is conceived, or it's believed that we're going to do what we think, it gives birth to sin. In other words, from the heart comes the abundance of man from the abundance of heart comes uh, from man and the mouth speaks and it's uh, it becomes a sin and when it is full grown when the sin comes to its full fruition it brings forth death okay sin equals death 
Satan knows that we desire or what we desire or lust for. So he attempts to take us prisoner and remove us from the path of holiness. He does this with the temptation of the desire drawing us into his trap. We want to rebuke this as Christians and not listen to Satan's twisted lies. Now the heart of this paragraph is to say uh, this is not a sin. The, t the, the temptation, the thought is not a sin yet. That's right, the desire and the lust are there and Satan places a temptation. But unless you act on the temptation, then it is not a sin yet. It can be defeated through rebuking the, the uh, desire of Satan, rebuke Satan. And it can be, uh, now it can be a sin if you entertain it long enough. But if we stand on our faith in God and rebuke the temptation in the name of Jesus, we will have a prayer of praise and victory instead of a confession of sin asking for forgiveness. Now, there's a big difference between those two. I'd rather have the prayer of praise and victory. Now, we might ask ourselves, what does this really mean? It actually has a simple explanation. It simply means even the righteous, the born-again Christian, will be subjected to evil thoughts. But remember, they are only thoughts. They have to be dismissed and rejected through the power of the Savior. The sin is not brought forth. Now, if you're like me, the first time I read and heard, whoever is born of God doeth not, uh, doeth not commit sins, in 1 John 3, 9, that we just read, I thought to myself, how in the world can I remain a Christian when my mere thoughts are sinful? I, asked, I, I could ask questions to my pastor like, haven't you ever had a bad thought? Haven't you ever wanted something? Thought it is, even though it's contrary to the will of God, and the pastor would reply, oh, yes, of course. But in faith, I rebuked the temptation and did not cherish the thoughts that I had. That's it. We have to kill it to start with. I thought to myself, of course, that's the answer. Because the Holy Spirit residing in us, we have power to refuse the thought or desire in the name of Jesus Christ. Man, what a great freedom is realized when this idea is completely understood. Now we are responsible for our thoughts. Please don't misunderstand me, but not for preventing them. Rather, we are responsible for subduing them and bringing them into captivity to the obedience of Christ. Okay? Satan puts the thought in there. You're supposed to deal with it through Jesus Christ. Now in 2 Corinthians 10, 5, it says, Casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. In other words, we may not be able to uh, control what thoughts enter our minds, but we have the option to bring them into captivity rather than having them bring us into captivity and therefore into sin. Ultimately, temptations come to us all, but sin is always a result of choice. This is a very important difference. There is a very important difference. How long does it take to overcome sin? Well, victory over sin can be addressed to each individual as how long do you need it to take? What I mean is you believe on Jesus for your salvation. The Holy Spirit lives within you. So God has done his part. It is now up to us on how effectively we will apply the power against sin and temptation. If we believe the Bible, the Bible teaching that as uh, born-again believers, 
we will have complete and total victory over sin in our lives. Even though this solution seems to be complete for most, and most do receive victory right after they realize God gives them victory on his account, and not on account of anything uh, that we did, God empowers us, not the other way around. We don't empower God. Yet there are some folks that will come back with questions or questions for questions, I call it. And number one, they would say, I believe victory is possible, but it doesn't happen until you have been faithful for years and years. Okay, and then the second one would be, that is wonderful that some people are able to do that, but I haven't reached that level of faith yet. Please, please, please pay attention to this. If God will supply everything we need, then the only thing that determines how quickly we receive something from him, whether it is victory over sin or anything else, is how quickly we need it. How quickly do we need to stop sinning? We need to stop immediately. Now, can we stop immediately? We sure can, absolutely. We just have to realize that the same power that helped Jesus defeat Satan in the wilderness is the same power that assists us in our daily lives. We really have to grasp this for what it is. Words or statements like the ones above only show that people still don't understand the nature of sin and that they believe the ability to stop sinning is in the believer and not in God. They talk about the believer's level of faith as if it was something that we could earn. True faith and true victory are gifts to receive, not rewards to win or to earn. But in all these cases, the speaker does not recognize his need. The sinner says, I know that penalty for sin is death, but I sin all the time and I am alive. What they mean to say is, even if sin will kill me eventually, it is a slow process that will hopefully give me time to return to faith. So even if salvation and the ability to avoid sin comes to us completely, they think that it may also be a slow process. So these opinions are all wrong. They're all wrong. The effects of salvation are immediate. And so the effects of sin, and so are the effects of sin. As we saw in the earlier studies, sin is not some bad act, but rather a condition of the mind and soul that causes one to perform acts of rebellion or transgressions. Understanding this is very important for a proper understanding of the gospel message. This condition of sin and sinfulness is a position that kills holiness in the soul, not only a long period of time, but immediately. So how is it that people do not notice? Why doesn't the sinner sense the life leaving him with each and every transgression. It is because that is written in Ecclesiastes 9.5. For the living know that they will die, but the dead know nothing. And they have no more reward for the memory of them is forgotten. In the context of spiritual life, one is truly living when he or she is free from sin. The scriptures describe those who are saved, as in Ephesians 2.1, as being dead in trespasses and sins. Now we are hearing all around us about people being desensitized to violence and sexual sin by experiencing the things in modern day books and movies. This being exactly what sin does to the conscience of man. These effects are immediate and not over a period of time as some may think. I will say this. 
If this is not solved immediately with the Holy Spirit, then over a period of time, the sin will grow into something worse. This situation of sin separates us from God the Father, and the longer it is left to fester, the farther away one gets from God. The darkness, the sin, and one's life grows and pushes the light, God, farther and farther away. Let me say at this point that the sin in your life needs to be fixed now. You have a spirit, you have a soul, and a body. This is taught in the Bible. When you believe on Jesus Christ, your spirit is saved immediately. By believing and studying God's word, and let's not forget that the Holy Spirit is now residing with you, this will give you strength and power to bring your soul into submission with your spirit. See, God's spirit deals with our spirit, and then we have to make our souls or who we really are, come under the control of the spirit, and our soul is saved progressively. Now the body is saved futuristically by Jesus at the resurrection of the saints. At that time, we will receive a new body like Jesus, one that is prepared for eternal life. My friends, I don't think there's anything else to be said that Jesus Christ is going to be the way to God, absolutely without a doubt. Without Jesus Christ, there's no way to find how to get to God. Jesus said that he made a way. He prepared the way. He is the light. He is the only way to God the Father. I pray today that you will uh, search your heart, search your spirit and your soul, give your life to Jesus, ask for repentance, believing in him that he died for you on the cross and that God resurrected him in full life, and he's going to do the same for us one day. And that through our death, we, by, by uh, believing in Jesus Christ, that we're going to go in our, in our soul to be with God. And we have no choice. Our soul has no choice except to return to God the Father. I pray that the Father, our Lord and God, will richly bless each one of you today and that he will fill your needs and all that, that uh, your desire. And remember that Jesus loves you more than anybody else ever will. So let's have a closing prayer. Father, we thank you today for this opportunity we've had to uh, not only read the, the lesson and to study it, but we thank you for your word that uh, it fills the empty places in our lives, that we know that you are real and that you love us and that your spirit resides in us and we have a desire to be with you. We have a desire and a need to know Jesus Christ. Father, be with each one that's in the sound of my voice. I pray a double blessing upon them and that they don't know Jesus today will be the day of their salvation. Father, go with us now in all that we do and say for the name of Jesus and for his sake, we pray. Amen.